Welcome to Australian Property Journal's Talking Property Podcast. Today, I've got three guests. Uh, I've got Mark uh, Weisel, Lewis, and uh, Craig, uh, sorry, Lewis from Pearl River Group, and Craig from uh, Peyton Capital. Uh, Welcome, gentlemen. Morning. Thank you. So, um, Mark is a returning guest, but uh, if you guys don't mind, uh, can you give us a quick introduction of your background and your roles in the companies? I'll start as a as a, as a newbie as <laughs> on, a on, on, on APJ anyway, on APJ, yes. That's right. Thank you for having me. Um, Craig Schlofeld from uh, Patent Capital. I'm the head of investment here at Patent Capital. Um, Patent Capital is a, a private lender, real estate debt only. Um, and we currently manage about a billion dollars um, funds under management and growing. My background uh, is 13 and a half years in banking. Then I moved into property for a couple of years and uh, finally lucky enough to end up at Patent Capital, which is the perfect mix of both finance and property. Lewis Tong um, used to be a national director at CBRE running the Asian division there. Over the time, they've built some really deep and strong relationships with um, many overseas uh, groups, um, which has allowed us to move in this new venture with Mark, which what we do is uh, property funds uh, management uh, in the commercial space and also uh, property advisory uh, for a lot of our previous clients as well. Excellent. And Mark, you probably... Don't need any, any introduction. <laughs> a lot of people know who you are. Uh, but if you want to give it a go, go for it. Oh, well, just of late with how well Lewis is performing in the business, I've just become a professional bag carrier for him at the airport. So, <laughs> um, and amongst that, uh, obviously, um, together with Lewis, um, collectively building over the past three years a new venture uh, in Australian commercial property, uh, more in the investment and development side, Um yeah, as opposed to our previous background um, as commercial agents, obviously at CBRE. So, um, been a really exciting journey uh, in the last three years. Uh, a lot of turbulence, obviously, 13 interest rate rises, hyperinflation, um, obviously, COVID, um, dare I say the word. Uh, but we've been really fortunate to have the backing of four uh, significant families in Melbourne mm-hmm. um, who have so far provided around 70 million of equity, which has resulted us. Uh, resulted in us buying 38 assets to date, um, of which all are performing well. <clears throat> so I guess we'll now, after the intros are done, we'll look into the your overviews. I'm keen to hear, um, as you said, Mark, I'll start with you. It's been sort of turbulent. Uh, that's the best way to describe this year so far or the past 18 months. But can you give us an overview of the market from your perspective um, in the past year? Yeah, it was obviously, uh, you know, as we record, um, middle of November 2023, uh, things arguably are as turbulent as what they have been um, in a long period of time, you know, both Mm. from an economic point of view, but um, also, you know, with geopolitical issues, um, obviously what's happening in the Middle East, um, which is, uh, you know, incredibly difficult to watch, um, you know, uh, Mm. any human conflict, uh, irrespective of, of one's background. Um, and then obviously the ongoing um, uh, war conditions in, in Ukraine, um, which seems to have been unfortunately a little bit forgotten about, uh, yes. you know, of late. So, um, but, you know, really sort of putting the lens on on what we do, commercial um, property markets, um, the big shift effectively, um, and it's great to have Craig here from Peyton because the big shift really has been um, the increased cost of debt, uh, both in terms of the um, rate rises to the official cash rate, which is, you know, probably punishing and hurting a lot of Australians, um, yes. maybe not so much at the top end. Um, and then that combined with, you know, inflationary pressures, which is affecting the construction industry, et cetera. So um, it's certainly been um, 11 months of significant change. Uh, it doesn't feel like there's too much good news in store. Um, you know, obviously the most recent rate rise uh, on Melbourne Cup Day uh, to an extent, came a little bit out of left field and and caught a little bit uh, caught people a little bit by surprise, um, but ultimately, you know, we're just operating in in a new paradigm and um, we need to 
uh, all think about you know what it's like to operate a property business in a high, higher interest rate environment. Um, it's certainly not all doom and gloom. Um, yeah. And with challenge, you know, certainly comes opportunities for for those that position their businesses um, and their operating models accordingly. And uh, obviously, be really interesting to hear um, from Craig, you know, his point of view around um, you know interest rate and cost of debt, um, and also the liquidity, which is one thing that um, is a contrast to what we saw during the 2008 GFC, where there really was a lack of liquidity. Um, and I really don't feel that that's the case um, this time around. No, and this is a great uh, sort of handball to Craig passing the baton. Uh, Craig, you want to give us an overview of the market in the past year? As uh, Mark mentioned, there, you know, there's key differences between this year, this time around, and and the GFC, where we're actually seeing, yeah, a lot more liquidity in the marketplace, particularly in the private lending space. We certainly are, uh, but it, it's. Uh... It's come off the back of a, a stall in liquidity um, at the start of the interest rate rises. Um, you're looking at private capital, which is where we operate. Um, there is a real sentiment that comes with how investors are looking at their investment opportunities. And, and there was a lot of fear going around as interest rates continued to rise. We looked at the cost of living pressures that we were seeing. And, of course, um, builders particularly going under had brought a lot of fear to the, the private capital markets. Um, so what what that the over what that in essence did in our market that we saw um, where we play which is the mid market so patent capital specialises in five to fifty million dollar debt sizes um, and and within that space we saw a real capital preference for residential um, as as the the thematic around high immigration lack of housing starts really starts to play out now a lot of the smart money of which um, the majority of our capital comes from private um, investors and family offices saw that there was going to be pressure on that residential market and therefore um, we saw yields move and now we're seeing price movements. So there's still a very strong um, interest in, in private capital coming into the residential subsector. Commercial industrial um, has performed well in terms of investor preference and continues to do so. Um, but where we are seeing some weakness for capital um, investment is in the hotel uh, specialist retail um, and uh, uh, the, um, yeah, probably hotel and specialist retail uh, are the two main sectors. The office market, which I was going to mention in that sentence, um, mm. is mixed speeds. Um, certain areas of office people are certainly happy to, to go into. What I mean by that is sort of outer metropolitan people are favouring. Inner metropolitan and certainly inner city is, is really hard to attract capital in our um, mid-market sector. Mm. And Lewis, do you want to give us a perspective? I, I, I'm also keen to hear from you. Uh, obviously, in the past year, we've seen an increase in foreign investment back in Australia. So do you want to give us a sort of uh, give our listeners a, sort of a, a view into what investors are thinking uh, from overseas as well? No problem. I've been um, traveling a lot to Asia, especially Singapore and Hong Kong. And as Mark mentioned before, there's definitely still a lot of people with a lot of equity just sitting in their bank accounts, just waiting. Um, a lot of them are still sitting on their hands, just waiting for the right time, seeing, monitoring the market, seeing what's happening. Um, but there's definitely a lot of things in Australia that's going for us. So things like the low Australian dollar, that's already made things very attractive here. And now with um, obviously the increase in interest rate also has led to increase in returns for properties. So yeah. people who are equity who are sitting on cash, um, the returns are looking quite attractive. Um, and I think next year we'll probably start seeing a bit more capital flowing back into um, Australia from overseas. Um, and from our point of view with our fund, we've got um, some investors uh, ready to go as well. Mm, fantastic. Now I want to obviously still uh, stick to the overview of the past I suppose it's the topic is still similar but I want to see what sort of uh from your in you know unique point of view what the, were the interesting trends that you observed um this year um Craig do you want to start I, I will I'll just echo um what Lewis said um mm. and, and I will get to it later but we're certainly seeing a lot of interest from overseas particularly Singapore 
um, and also Korea. We, we've just recently right. completed okay. a, a placement for an institutional um, uh, fund out of Korea um, mm-hmm. into our fund. And, and as Lewis said, we're you know we're seeing it um, from the the debt side, but but people, there's a lot of capital looking to come out to Australia off the back of a strong performance through COVID and and some really strong. Um, um, economic data that looks forward as, as to how we're going to perform over the next couple of years. But um, to get back to, to your question around themes or key trends over the last year, yes. um, as, as we enter the end of the year, the, the real sort of theme that, that we saw at the start of the year was delay, if I have one word. Um, a lot of our developments that we were funding had delays and, and really they were a function of um, COVID at the start slowing down um, activity on site. And then as COVID finished, of course, we saw the delay um, come in availability of trades and, and the human um, availability. And, and so what both of those led to for a lot of the developments we were funding, particularly in the apartment space, was delays on site. And most of our projects um, meant that they were finishing somewhere between one and three months past their expected due date, some a little bit right. further. And, and what that brought to market um, for a lot of the investors sitting behind that was um, a little bit of fear and and later than that, um, then understanding as as we've seen now, a lot of that delay is largely caught up um, and we've had a huge volume of completions happen over the last couple of months and coming into this month. So um, the theme that we saw was delay over the last 12 months in our sites. Um, and just to close that out, the delay as well, of course, in um, sites that had had um, DAs approved and feasibility is done on schemes. Um, and with the increasing construction costs, the delay in having to rework feasibilities, rework DAs to make the feasibility work again um, mm-hmm. and go back to council and, and get reapprovals and so forth. Um, certainly delay was was the word I'd use. Yeah. What, what about you, Mark? What have been sort of the themes or the, the you know, that, that you've observed this year? I think generally speaking, everything's just become a little bit more challenging. Uh, and I'm not sure that that's specific to, um, you know, the economics or the commercial property sector that we tend to play in. But, mm. you know, people are under pressure, um, whether that's, uh, you know, right through to teachers of, you know, your, your children at school. Um, they're all facing a lot more challenge. Um, yes. You know, everybody's got less money to spend on things that they enjoy and that they get nourishment from. And, you know, stress levels, um, you know, uh, uh, arguably, I don't know how it's measured, but um, stress levels of people would be much higher today than, uh, you know, what they would have been five years ago. And, you know, that's a combination, obviously, of, you know, what happened with the lockdowns in Victoria. And um, it's certainly important that we don't keep referencing that because we do need to move on. And um, it has been wonderful if we even look at um, what happened at Flemington Racecourse over the past, you know, uh, a week or so, record crowds, uh, people really getting out there and enjoying themselves again. Um, but generally speaking, Nelson, um, things have just been a little bit um, harder to complete, uh, whether it is, to, to Craig's point, um, you know, whether it is uh, organising appropriate tradespeople, um, getting them to obviously stick to time, you know, when they've said they're going to come, uh, through to uh, obviously leasing properties, um, that's taking a bit longer, um, even the interaction with uh, estate agents, you know, um, the response time, uh, the handling of sales and leasing campaigns. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just a lot of change out there. And I think it's probably more pressure on um, society and, and human nature than than what it necessarily <laughs> is, um, you know, the, the specific to commercial property. Um, in terms of key themes, um, you know, I think one thing we need to be a little bit cautious of is just this divergence in society. Um, it seems like, you know, over the past 12 months, the haves and the have-nots, there's been even more gap between. Um, you know, there's people uh, struggling to uh, make ends meet, but then at the same time, uh, it's difficult to get, uh, from what we hear, uh, bookings at high-end, you know, French restaurants in, in South Yarra. Um, <laughs> I think that's something that we, we certainly need to be very cautious of. Um, mm. Our business, we were doing a lot of uh, leasing um, of our properties in the delivery food space. Um, that's certainly quietened down. Um, I think that the you know the 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 days of someone ordering a Uber delivered uh, twenty six dollar hamburger um, uh, might be numbered. Uh, yes. And 
you're starting to see, you know, the businesses like the fast foods, the McDonald's, the KFCs, the Hungry Jacks, the Guzman and Gomez's um, really flex their muscle in terms of their economies of scale. Um, I was driving home the other day and drove past Elstonwick McDonald's. I was very tempted to stop, but uh, in this case, I didn't because I looked out at my waistline <laughs> and thought that's probably not a good idea. And my wife, Teresa, will probably smell it on my breath when I get home. But um, there was a traffic sign on uh, Nepean Highway out the front of McDonald's and it said, um, cheeseburgers, $2, limit of six per customer. Uh, and that just, you know, that just shows you how competitive and, um, you know, how strong an operator um, they are. Um, I think the consumers are certainly becoming more price conscious across the board. Uh, they're certainly delaying um, decisions to, to, to purchase, um, you know, larger household goods or, or, or things of that nature. Um, in the office space, we're definitely seeing a rebound of strong interest for smaller spaces. So, you know, anything between 150 and 500 square metres, um, yep. that market is certainly alive albeit um, the incentives are making it at times difficult to stack up those deals. And mm. probably um, something that Craig would be saying, and I know Lewis is, but uh, the strength of the family offices domestically, you know, both um, in Melbourne, Sydney, um, to an extent Queensland, um, they're really popping up left, right and centre, and uh, they've got some serious ammunition behind them, which is probably a reflection of how well they've done over the past decade uh, as, you know, asset values have increased and, a lot of them uh, went about divesting. Um, you know, you think about some of the big families, you know, we saw obviously the Westfield divestment um, at a really big corporate level. Um, we saw the Alter family divest of um, Werribee and Epping. Uh, mm-hmm. We saw Beeson family fully divest of High Point. Um, and, you know, you're not talking about small amounts of money there, Nelson. You're talking about billions of dollars and it does find its way through in a in a small marketplace like Melbourne um, yes. into into the safe hands of people like Craig at Payton and, and otherwise. So um, we're, we're really optimistic. Um, we see some great opportunity. Um, it's fantastic to be Melburnians. And uh, one thing that I know about Melburnians, I know about um, the property sector is we're very resilient. And uh, mm. whilst this might be a blip on the radar, uh, there is a lot of opportunity to capitalise on in the next 12 to 18 months. So, Lewis, keeping with this theme, um, what are the sort of uh, you know trends that you've observed this year? From from a property transactions point of view, the transaction volumes have been way down compared to the previous five years, um, and that's largely due to either expectations or people just waiting and hoping that the market will recover. Um, yes. Sometimes it's just valuations and the valuations haven't been able to adjust enough just because there hasn't been enough uh, transaction uh, evidence to show why they should be coming off. Mm. And hence, uh, a lot of the groups aren't able to sell unless the valuations are at what uh, these purchases are offering. Um, the banks is probably another interesting one. Um, to date, we haven't heard too many stories of banks uh putting a lot of pressure on financing and um, LVRs and uh, debt cover, interest cover ratios. But right. from what we've been hearing uh, next year, that's going to start coming. So we're going to start to see a bit more of uh, pressure and pain from that sense as well. Mm. Um, probably all, the other two trends are there's definitely been a lot more um, off-market transactions this year and a lot more uh, properties which have gone into due diligence. Um, in the past, given um, when when the market was strong, you don't hear of too many properties um, in the commercial space that goes into uh, due diligence, whereas um, these days uh, a lot of properties are going to due diligence. Mm-hmm. And this is a th- actually, you know, you mentioned the due diligence. Are the due diligence taking longer now to uh to you know or, or deals taking longer to complete yeah i groups are a bit more a lot more diligent um yeah. obviously they worry about market conditions as well uh financing is also another factor that they'll need to uh consider so there's probably a lot more things groups are considering now whereas in the past when uh the market was good they they they're probably a bit more uh, opportunistic and optimistic. Mm. So I, I suppose now that, you know, you're talking about opportunistics and this brings me to what we're 
you know, the next topic, which is about opportunities. Obviously, we have seen this year has been the talk of the town has been the asset repricing and um, vendors and, and buyers sort of, yeah, keeping with the theme, meeting in the middle and coming up with sort of, well, what do you want to sell for and what do you want to buy for? Um, we've had, you know, a period where vendors, it was a vendor's market. Uh, asset prices kept going up and up, even when office leasing was challenging. Um, the office valuations defied that. Prices gone up. But now we're seeing that uh, change. Um, values are decreasing, uh, you know, declining. Um, the uh, the big REITs are selling offices for discounts. In, even um, I think recently vicinity bought back a, a shopping center that it sold uh, for, uh, sorry, bought back for less than what it sold for a few years ago. So we're now seeing asset repricing um, create a lot of opportunities in the marketplace. I'm keen to hear from uh, you guys uh, where you seeing where you're seeing opportunities and also what the your investors or what your um, uh, family offices in private, you know, um, off, investors are telling you or what they want. So um, I suppose I yeah. might go first to, to sure. directly answer your question on, on investment and then let the guys mm. talk about the property side. But to, to exactly what um, Lewis said, the bank pressure is what's driving so many quality developers that have traditionally banked uh, exclusively at the big five into the private market. And so what the quality of developer coming into the private lending space is certainly um, increasing day by day. But um, in terms of what what the key opportunity our our family offices and and high net wealth money's um, seeing and and looking for is around the thematic of the undersupply of housing um, that will persist based on what um, everyone's saying. And Charter Keck put a report out, Charter Keck Kramer at the start of the year, saying that there's an undersupply in the Melbourne, Sydney and and to a lesser extent Brisbane markets of somewhere between and don't quote me on the number, but seventeen to twenty thousand housing units each year for the next couple of years. So mm. that catch-up that needs to happen, aligned with the government's uh, target of 1.2 million homes to be built over the next couple of years, um, creates an opportunity for investors to supply the capital to back these developers in. Um, you know, And in the mid-market, which we play, um, we see that as a key advantage or opportunity for investors because... Within the mid-market um, deals, and again, reiterating, somewhere between five to $50 million debt sizes, so projects typically, you know, 10 to $70 million, they're generally faster than a market. Um, they push out a, a great affordable product. And, and the other thing which, which is becoming more of an issue is availability of builders to build in the mid-market. At the top end, if you're building a large tower, one of the issues we're seeing or, or inherently hearing is the availability of builders is a challenge. And I think um, Hutchies came out a couple of months ago and said they're turning away a massive amount of work um, each week. And, and the numbers were astounding. It was in the billions of dollars. And that comes back to if you want to build a tower, you've got to have the builder to do it. And mm. so we feel the mid-market will really drive forward the catch-up, if you like, in housing undersupply because of the availability of builders, because of the size of project and the speed to market. So in terms of opportunities that investors are really focused on, um, that is a key opportunity. And of course, if you're investing in the debt, um, you really want to look through to what the project is. And, you know, if you look at um, the dynamics of resi property, the yields that we're seeing on rental increasing, you know, and it, it's got to flow through to the price at some stage. So um, there is, in our view, a, a forward sort of um, uptick in, in resi property prices to come off the back of uh, increasing yields. Absolutely, yeah. Um, the, the final thing I'll just say that people are interested in, because it's not just resi, and I've spoken a lot about it, is um, the repositioning of some assets. So we've had some of our developers who have had, for instance, we've an example is we have a developer who um, had a, a, an office building in a great spot in Footscray approved, he repositioned the asset into residential because it wasn't started yet and it wasn't a big change to the footprint. Um, and he's getting a much better outcome from that repositioning, again, playing into that thematic of undersupply. Mm. And, and a third thing we haven't spoken about, and Mark sort of touched on briefly, is there's a lot of interest coming now that we're seeing through our our, fund, uh, through our um, family office groups on 
um, asking the question on what can we do around social and affordable housing? How do right. we get something to the market and how do we back it? Mm, absolutely. I think this is the uh, one thing, uh, uh, key trends that we've seen this year emerge is that uh, investment into affordable housing. Um, obviously, it's a government priority. So um, no doubt investors are looking at that. And yeah, it, it, and the continued housing crisis, uh, just trying to house the uh, the growing population and, and meet the population um, targets with their housing targets is going to be a challenge for the market and the, the property sector for you know the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's also a problem for developers who, under the government changes, are really looking for ways of how do they integrate it into their projects and make it, mm-hmm. you know, really um, meet the required um, target of providing this social and affordable housing, but then not disadvantaging the other project that sits around it. And it is a, mm-hmm. a gentle balancing act that, that developers are really thinking about. It's probably also yeah. for you know uh, a stronger clarity around the educational piece as to mm-hmm. what is the definition of social housing. Because mm. I still think that, you know, in many instances when the word's mentioned, uh, the immediate thought of a developer or a financier um, is to troubled housing. Mm. You know, yes. be it people that are affected by broken homes, people that are drug affected, uh, mm. people that might be um, caught up with, you know, crime and and, and prison and things mm. of that nature. Mm. Uh, whereas that's certainly an aspect that does need support in social housing, but that's not social housing, you know, in, in its wholesome situation, um, you know, because of uh, how quickly uh, things have, uh, have blown out cost-wise, um, you know, there, there's, you know, a big group, for example, of um, females in their 50s that have gone through divorces uh, yes. that, literally, that literally cannot get into the housing market. And you're hearing stories of, you know, people sleeping in their cars and mm. things of that nature. And, you know, that's just, um, that's just something that we we must, under all circumstances, get better at in this country. Uh, you know, we're a resource-rich country. Uh, we're a great country. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that need to be fixed. But, you know, ultimately, food on the table and shelter over one's head, mm. um, they're, they're pretty basic things that we need to get right. That's right. Absolutely. I think, you know, this is the thing you're right about the educating or re-educating the market on on the term social housing. I, I mean, you know, just from my background, I, I migrated to Australia some 30 plus years ago. Um, but when we first ag- arrived in Australia as immigrants, um, we lived in social housing. Um, I actually lived in Richmond, um, in the Richmond um, flats, as you call it. Um, so I grew up there and then, so it, it, it's kind of that, uh, and I had a discussion with Rob Pradlin from Housing All Australians about this, that there is that um, uh, perception, you're right, that social housing is for troubled people, but they don't seem to understand that it's a security of housing should be a basic human right, that once you have housing, um, you can focus on all the other things uh, in your life, like such as getting a job, getting an education and improving yourself. And that's what it was for us, our family, you know, social housing was that basic start for us for security of housing. Um, so I'm, I'm glad we sort of got to talk about that. Um, it's quite an important issue. Um, but it's not just that too, you know, social housing and affordable housing, but we're looking at key worker housing as well. You know, uh, a lot of teachers say they can't afford to live within areas that they have to go and teach. Um, they have to travel, you know, hours away. Um, you've got people who are nurses um, firemen, again, um, you know, we need housing for the key workers as well in society. Agree. Mm. Uh, so in terms of opportunities, Mark, where do you see things uh, going or what are your uh, investors asking you or telling you that they want? Well, obviously, um, as a returning guest to the to the podcast, and I got a bit of feedback from the last one, you know, in yes. terms of trying to give the audience some insights um, and compliment, um, you know, some of my thinking to, to help uh, progress, you know, the audience's thinking. I'll, I'll answer the question um, in, in a couple of parts. Um, you know, for those people that are, you know, professionals either in the finance or property sectors or, um, you know, professional services sector that, that are subscribers to, um, to, to your um, platform, um, I'd say that you know the biggest opportunity is to learn um, in a in a changing marketplace. 
Um, mm. We saw things very much the same, you know, in a rising marketplace from sort of 2010 through to 2020. Mm. Uh, and, you know, the insights that especially people that might be either starting out or that are in their third, fourth or fifth year of their career, the insights that you can gain through working in a shifting uh, landscape like we're going through at the moment um, can effectively underwrite, you know, a person's career for the next 20 years. Yes. Um, I certainly speak from personal experience. Uh, I started my career in early 2007 and um, sold quite a few properties and thought I was pretty good uh, right at the uh, lead up to the GFC, uh, which <laughs> sort of started to occur in October, November 07. Mm. Um, yeah, my sales performance fell off a cliff literally in 2008 and 2009. And <laughs> it was an incredible wake up call that maybe I yeah. wasn't as talented as what I'd led myself to believe. So um, I think you've got to take a, an optimistic outlook. Um, you know, commercial property markets, all markets, financial markets move in cycles. Uh, and what it might mean is that people might not be as financially successful over the next period as what they were previously, but you can become a lot richer with your knowledge and your know-how um, and your thought application um, to how you're going to position your offering as an operator, as a member of a team, um, and as a service provider to clients. Um, you can really hone your skills um, in times like this. So um, I think that there's going to be a market for creativity. I think there's going to be a market for entrepreneurial thinking. Uh, I think that the skill set of operators is going to uh, become rewarded again. There's going to be a noticeable gap between um, those that, you know, think outside the square and those that are willing to really sacrifice to deliver um, different outcomes mm -hmm. versus those that might have been benefiting from the tailwind in the market. Um, so that would be on the human capital side. I would say that's the opportunity. Um, and it's one that really should be embraced, especially by the younger generation. Um, and then, you know, in saying that also, the, the older generation, um, you know, we've recently put on three people uh, into our business, all who are in their 50s. And, uh, you know, to, to, to coin that famous saying that, you know, you can't buy experience, mm -hmm. um, we're seeing that firsthand as well. So, you know, finding as a, a business owner the balance between enthusiasm and experience um, is quite important. Um, in terms of uh, Australia, um, I think, you know, following the population growth um, thematic, um, there's going to be a lot of opportunities that stem from that, whether it's in the residential space, but more so, you know, for Lewis and, and our interests and, and our investors' interests in the commercial space, uh, more social infrastructure is needed as population grows, more shops are needed, more retail's needed, um, and I'll get on to when we when we're asked the last question um, around you know some views on specific um, sectors that I think will continue to go strongly. But population growth, we mustn't forget globally. We're still seen as an incredibly safe, predictable country. Uh, we have peaceful protests, albeit they probably haven't been as peaceful as what we've liked in the last couple of. Uh, weeks, uh, you know, mm. which is concerning. But I think the police um, and our politicians do respond really quickly. Um, and, you know, that is the benefit of a democratic society. So we're a safe country. We're a democratic society. Uh, we're stable. Um, we have a really well-defined legal system, um, you know, and pound for pound. And you really feel this when you travel overseas as an Australian. Pound for pound, we still bat well above our average, um, you know, across a range of different sectors, and that's something we should be proud of. Um, my final comment will be China. Uh, I see uh, enormous opportunities stemming from China over the next three years. Um, I think that there's no coincidence of what's been happening over the past few weeks with uh, our Prime Minister, Mr Albanese, travelling to see uh, the Chinese uh, President Xi Jinping, obviously yes. the first... The first um, Australian Prime Minister in seven years to formally go to China. I think the role that Penny Wong's having in repairing that relationship cannot be understated. Uh, and, you know, in very simple terms, the student, the tourism and the migrant story of a growing relationship, you know, fostering better relations with China uh, will certainly bring about opportunities for a range of sectors in commercial and residential property. Mm. And, and and looking at rural as well, I mean the the agribusinesses have been celebrating the uh, the exports that they can <laughs> send the lobster, from China. The, the, the lobster and red wine are back. <laughs> exactly. Actually, Mark, I was thinking about when you were talking about the talents uh, attracting the people over fifty. I know that you were working with Ross Lyon, uh, but now he's gone back to coaching with St Kilda. Um, 
has that been a big loss to the business, uh, having Ross out of the uh, property space? Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, um, you know, Ross, as I said before, uh, there's a certain value that comes with experience. And mm. although Ross didn't have um, experience in property, um, he had experience in a lot of other areas, which he applied very quickly um, to commercial property. And, you know, what a man of his age achieved um, in a really short period of time was um, outstanding. Um, you know, we're very fortunate to still have him really closely linked to our business. Uh, Lewis and I talk to Ross um, regularly. Um, and obviously the benefit for me uh, was that I am a uh, Mad St Kilda fan. As is my <laughs> yes. heart. And, um, you know, one of the last things that I really want to tick off for delivering to my dad is a is an illustrious St Kilda premiership. And, um, you know, I think that uh, the season Ross had last year uh, would indicate that, you know, we're, we're certainly heading in, heading in the right direction. But as a St Kilda fan, you, you know, you certainly uh, – don't hold your breath because the ramifications would be dire. But um, yeah, Ross was Ross has been a loss, but um, he's still very close. You know, he still pops in once every couple of weeks. And I just said to him that you know he shouldn't forget that you know when the thing at St Kilda is all done and dusted, um, as the famous Kobe Bryant said, uh, the basketball hoop didn't know how old he was when he was nineteen and dominating, and uh, commercial yeah. office buildings won't know how old Ross is when he decides to come back to property. I like that. I like that. <laughs> um, now I go over to um, uh, Lewis. Um, what are opportunities that you're seeing? Um, obviously, much Mark touched on China, and this is the thing. Um, I was uh, obviously we've been covering a lot of it too. You know, the the the, the Chinese real estate um, crisis, or you can call it that. Uh, that's what we're reporting on. No doubt that has created that sort of the market where the in uh, the buyers in China are now looking to Australia, um, uh, you know, for investments. Um, I'm keen to hear from your view. What are the opportunities that you're you're seeing in the marketplace? Yeah, there there, there definitely are groups in China that want to come to Australia to invest, mm. but there's obviously the restrictions capital. around yes. capital mm. can come down and things like that. So. Um, I think that's still going to take time. Um, but for our investors, um, what they're wanting to see is, as always, when there's a downturn in the market, it's it's a it's very a risk averse approach. Um, they they tend to shy away from risk, so um, it, the the process is quite an educational process to really show them what's going on. So mm. you step back, you look at values of the three main assets uh, sectors being office, retail, industrial versus uh, what they were, say, two years ago. Mm. Office, um, obviously, it's been seen to be the uh, largest hit asset class. We're seeing values come off by over 20% in some instances. Um, retail's also come off in the shopping center space and large format retail space. And uh, industrial to a more minimal uh, minimal uh, margin. So for them, like if you're looking at pure values, Office definitely looks like it's uh, got the most value, but all, also comes with the most risk with people working from home, with the amount of vacancy rate, with the large incentives that are provided to tenants. Um, but for us, we want to make sure for our investors that they're in a safe pair of hands, um, we we also show them things like um, values now being significantly below replacement costs with the high construction prices and things like that. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And then also the opportunities to find ways to reposition things, to find an angle, find an edge on, on assets so that you can deliver stronger outcomes for your investors. I'm keen to hear from sort of um, the alternative assets. I mean, we, we, we class them as alternative because they're not office, retail, industrial. But what are we seeing, you know, for the healthcare, life sciences, uh, re- uh, you know, uh, uh, land lease communities, um, uh, aged care, retirement, seniors living and built to rent? What are you seeing? What, what's your view on all these guys? Um, Lewis, I'll, I'll continue with you and then I'll go to the other guys after. What are your views on the alternative uh, sector, alternative asset classes? Life, life science has definitely been the, the big thematic or theme work that's been uh, pushed around. Um, it, it's an interesting trend where it's it's definitely got the right 
uh, themes and things going for it. Mm. But again, that takes time. It's it's um, it's education. It's getting to understand the assets, how to value the assets better. Um, uh, they're good for repositioning of certain assets as well. So um, those assets are are definitely something to keep an eye out for. Mm. In terms of uh, health, I mean, anytime in a downturn, health it's it's a go to sector for security for safety. Um, especially uh, Mark mentioned the word COVID after COVID health is definitely something that's a lot more prevalent in the Mm -hmm. marketplace. Yeah. The big question mark is just how deep those occupier markets really are. Um, Well, I think the industry is quite quick to try and come up with solutions. Um, If we look at the pressure on the commercial office um, sector um, and we just purely look at the amount of vacancy um, what then needs to be taken into account is what the real vacancy rate would be if uh, businesses were approached to give back space um, that are still running through their lease term. So mm-hmm. we won't have a true depiction of what the true vacancy is probably for the next couple of years. Mm. But I dare say if you went to nine out of 10 tenants in the CBD and said, you know, we're happy to take 20, 25% of your space back, uh, I think they'd say, you know, where do we sign? We'll sign this afternoon. Mm. So the, the current vacancy rate may be a little bit, um, it might be looking a little bit favourable. Uh, I think the real vacancy rate is one that we need to sort of keep an eye out for. And then if you actually did a survey of how much demand is in the healthcare space and life science space from a occupier's point of view, um, mm. it's certainly not going to be the overarching solution. Um, just like converting office buildings to residential is not the overarching solution. Um, this is something now that's going to take for the office sector Uh, at least five to seven years to fix and cleanse. Um, Mm. And there's going to be a lot of pain um, and a lot of expertise required to get it there. Mm. Craig, I'm keen to hear, um, obviously you said, you know, the mid-market is your specialisation. We've seen a lot of build to rent, particularly for the big, 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 you know, 600 units, uh, uh, 300 units, et cetera, et cetera. In the mid-level market, is there interest in the in the build to rent for smaller scale uh, developments? Not that we're seeing a lot of at the moment, and mm-hmm. and you, you've hit the nail on the head. Their scale is what provides the benefit to a lot of these larger build to rent projects. Mm-hmm. Um, if you if you're sitting two projects side by side, the build to rent um, obviously has its advantages in the extra services it provided and generated re- revenue from that, um, as well as the the um, specs and the amenity that it provides to its customers. Um, it can take, obviously, the higher cost of that because um, people are prepared to pay a little bit more to have the luxury of all of those things. Once you lose that scale, um, it can be hard to generate the type of income that you need to make a build-to-rent project viable. So we're not seeing a lot of it in the mid-market, mm-hmm. um, but as you called out, it's well serviced um, by the institutional market with groups like Greystar that we're seeing in Melbourne, Investor, yes. of course, um, Qualitas and Gurna partnerships are a great partnership and, and building out. Mm. So I, I suppose now that leads into the, um, because we are recording in the middle of November now, um, it is not that far off 2024. Um, what can we expect for the year ahead uh, I know it's going to be very, very difficult to predict, but I want you guys to peer into the crystal ball. Um, so we'll start with you, Craig. What do you think uh, is coming? You know, what can we expect in the marketplace for 2024? I know it's such a, a sort of wide question, but yeah. It, it, it is, but, uh, you know, I think that there's so many data points telling us that the story around lack of housing is not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, um, you know, I, I think that it's going to get a little bit worse before it gets better. And, and what that, what I mean by that is there's going to be a lot of people out there that can afford to rent a place um, in the suburb that they want to live, that the availability of, of rental is just not going to be there, which is going to displace some people from living and working or having kids at school in the areas that they want to, just mm-hmm. because of the availability of housing as opposed to affordability. The affordability issue is absolutely there, but... You know, the lack of stock is, I think, going to persist through 2024. Um, I also think that on the flip side of that, we're going to see stronger builders. I think a lot of the builders are finishing the unprofitable jobs that they've been stuck in for the last couple of years. And any new jobs commenced, 
are going to have healthy margins for the builder and the developer. And so I think, um, you know, we've obviously, everyone's heard about the collapses that we've seen in some of these, you know, a lot of the building companies. And, you know, what we're seeing today is the function of jobs that have been completed or hopefully completed over the last couple of years. So stronger builders, I think, as, as, um, as the ones that don't survive, um, fall over and the ones that do I think will be well positioned to take advantage of the um, the build out as as I called it um, over the next couple of years and finally as, as Mark alluded to not everyone listening is a property developer and may not be aware of the opportunity that lies in the commercial private debt space for investors and um, if you don't know about it and you're listening to this I encourage you to um, just look into into private credit as an asset class for investment um, because you can get fantastic risk-adjusted returns of circa 10% per annum or mm. double-digit returns for a, you know what I think is a fantastic risk-adjusted return. So worth looking into. Mm, definitely. Uh, Lewis, do um, you want to give us an overview of your outlook, uh, sort of what you think will happen next year? Are we expecting more of the same or turbulent times continuing? Uh, I Definitely feel like there's going to be a bit more pain to come for mm. property owners. Um, a lot of more pressures from the financiers, um, and no no buyers are going to be rushing back into the market like strong very uh, anytime soon. Um, in terms of Asian capital, that's probably the the one saving piece. I think there will be a bit more Asian capital looking in Australia next year. Mm. Um, the the big unknowns are the wars, what's happening on a global scale, what's happening in China. Those things are all going to make the market still very volatile next year. Mm. Um, and in terms of the market recovering, uh, I don't think it'll be anytime soon. It's probably going to take a bit more time. I mean, um, interest rates, whilst they're high com- in comparison to uh, what they were a few years ago, it's um, if you look at it on a long-term, more traditional basis, it, it is quite... Um, uh, a norm from what it was uh, from a long-term trend basis. Um, I think population growth, which Craig mentioned, that's going to be uh, something that's going to help the economy a lot. Um, it'll help the residential market. In turn, it would help um, the office, the retail market. So that that's probably going to be another positive for for us next year. Mm. And, and Mark, what, what do you think will happen uh, in the year ahead? Uh, I've got some specific things that we can look out for. Um, Not all negative. Um, I guess how they're handled will be the key, but um, I think we'll definitely uh, have a higher cost of debt for longer. Uh, I was looking at the FIN this morning. Obviously, what are we, 14th of November, and um, ING uh, were advertising a new rate for commercial property, um, 6.9%, something like that. I mean, I'm not sure exactly what the product is, but... um, you know, I sort of looked at that and, and I text one of our capital partners saying, you know, I think this is probably going to go to 10%, you know, with with, with my gut feel on, on where we're at in the cycle. Um, mm. So higher cost of debt for longer. Um, I think we're going to see government work a lot more with the private sector in terms of releasing land um, to obviously address um, everything that um, Craig's touched on. Uh, we're already starting to see articles like yesterday in the newspaper in the age about um, development around train stations. Um you know, and again, that that can only be a good thing. I think if you look at what, um, I think it's, I don't know the council, but in Brunswick, is it Moreland? Um, what they've done along their train line, like where Jewel Train Station is, and a few others, um, that's uh, that that should be put up in lights as mm. wonderful, smart, intelligent development that um, serves a number of purposes. I think we're going to see a loosening of planning, uh, which can only be a good thing for for supply and and for that residential sector. Uh, childcare, we'll see more need for more childcare. We'll see more need for healthcare property. Um, we'll see more vacant offices, unfortunately. Um, on the BTR side, I think we're going to see an increase in the need for more of a mixed use component to right. stack those projects up because mm. the cost to deliver versus what people can afford to rent, um, I think will make the returns too low for capital to participate. So I anticipate more mixed use in those um, BTR assets. Uh, I anticipate more receivership sales. um, And I expect a return of uh, sales volume, transaction volume of uh, the staple commercial 
retail, industrial, hotel um, to happen sort of in the second half of 2024 um, Mm -hmm. as vendors um, are in a position more so where they need to meet the market and meet the buyer's pricing of their assets. And this is actually, you raise a very good point there. This year, we it's well known that transaction volumes are, uh, are down uh, from the year before that. Um, and it's a combination of obviously the asset repricing and vendors and buyers not being able to meet in the, you know, the, the, the expectations yet. So what you touched on this uh when we're looking into 2024, uh, sorry, 2023, they haven't been pressured yet, I suppose, from the vendor's perspective um, to sell. So are we going to see sort of in 2024 where they're thinking, okay, you know, the debt's increasing, like you said, uh, ING's pricing these things. And if if interest rates go to, uh, sorry, the lending rates go to 10%, will some vendors be finally come into the market and say, all right, we've got to get out of this? Uh, without doubt, uh, yeah. just as much as there's, I mean, we, we can't escape what we are and we're yeah. all byproducts of human nature. And uh, as much as there's a herd mentality when the market's rising and you get comments like fear of missing out and that's mm. effectively driving, you know, yields down, which was dovetailed with obviously the um, falling cost of debt, um, just as day becomes night, uh, as the cost of debt goes up, uh, the value of assets comes down and uh, people are tested and their, their nerve is tested and um, their patience is tested and, and their, their, their own outlook on, um, you know, the economic landscape is tested. So um, I've got no doubt that there'll be uh, heightened uh, uh, vendor sales occur um, over the next period of time. I don't think that will happen in the short term. Um, mm-hmm. I, think there's a bit, I think there's a bit of time to play out on this and, um you know, it's uh, it's just a byproduct of, of of any financial sort of product or any property market. You can't have a cycle that kind of runs too deep in the one direction for you know near on fifteen years. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, this has been very informative. Uh, it, you know, I'm sure. I, agree. I think I think the I think the addition of Craig to the team has certainly dragged up the the quality of uh, of answers to the podcast. Oh, definitely, definitely. I I was about to say this too. You know, from what we're talking about now, hopefully next year when I invite you gentlemen back uh, for a discussion, we'll get to see how many things we were right about and how many things we were wrong about. That we will. Sounds great, Nelson. Thanks very much for having us. Thank, uh, you, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you, Mike. Thank Nelson. you, Lewis, and thank you, Craig. Thank you.